Welcome to the Recovery Lab. I'm your host, Joe Lemon, and this podcast is sponsored by Elevation Medical. And today's special guest is Dr. Michael Miller. Now, he has been with the New England Patriots for over 38 years, and he's seen them go from just the okay team to the dynasty that they've created over the past couple of years. So we have a blast talking. I mean, honestly, it was one of those painful conversations just for me to have as a guy that was born and raised in Pittsburgh and speaking to the Patriots and they used to demolish us all throughout the early 2000s, late 90s. And it was just great going back over those stories with him because he has so much experience of working with this championship organization working with legendary coaches and just the process that we got into of making a team work together with so many powerful egos. Now, this is something that honestly is is a little bit different than most of my conversations because we're not too heavy into the science of using our actual products here with Elevation as far as the Pisa Wave, main therapy tables and so forth. But man, it's just a really good time talking. He shares so many great stories. And I wish I would have kept pressing record because we had so many great, great topics that we covered offline. But either way, there's still a, a ton here. So let's get right into it with the Patriots chiropractor, Dr. Michael Miller. Let's go. Really nice to kind of have this conversation with you. Really excited too, man, because um, I'm not sure if I told you, but I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. And, yes. you know, and, and so, you know, of course, as a kid, it was it was lots of tears, <laughs> you know, watching the Patriots just bully their way through us. And, you know, like all throughout the whole 90s, right? It was like the Bills were always showing up and then the Patriots would just beat the Steelers. They, <laughs> like, if they didn't beat anybody else, they would beat us. So, you know, um, really glad to have you on the actual podcast, man. Thank you. The best, the best game I ever had was when we had a, the uh, championship game against the Steelers. Oh, which year? Yeah. Which year? That was that was back a while ago. I just remember that they had already packed their baggage, and when we got to the stadium, they said, "Hey guys, our, our trucks are ready to go. We're ready to go to New Orleans." And they sent <laughs> all the the little uh, yellow t- terrible towels. They had shipped it all to New Orleans to be ready for their fans. And when we won them at the end of that game. There were helmets being thrown down the walkways where we were going back to the locker room. They, they weren't a happy crew, but they, they thought for sure that that was their year to go to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, man, in retrospect, I feel bad for them. <laughs> I mean, look, you know what? Honestly, everything's happens the exact way it's supposed to. And we just don't take losing well back home in Pittsburgh, man. But, you know, it's uh, I mean, you know, no. there is this formula, though, and there's this there's this pace, I guess, that I would love to even dive into it with you about that when you have a championship mentality, like, you know, is losing a part of that actual thought process or, or do you just come in like, hey, I'm going to win. Like I was, I was listening to Mike Tyson recently whenever he was fighting versus uh, Roy Jones, you know, I mean, he was, he didn't like, I think one of the questions was like, hey, did, had you thought about whether it was going to mess up your actual legacy? Like, did you think about losing? He's like, think about losing was you know like it didn't even cross his mind it didn't seem like it but being around so many winning people like would you say that losing even comes up or is it something that's always present well losing i think comes up basically what happens i know from belichick for example is i've asked him personally whether or not you know preseason games does he want to go four and oh it doesn't matter to him and he says well to be honest with you i would always like to see the team lose a game 
because when they lose, they get the feeling of what it feels like to go into the locker room as a loser, not as a winner. So yeah. they don't like to have that feeling reoccurring, you know, back and forth, you know, in their careers. They, they like to win. They like the mentality of winning. Mm -hmm. And if you prepare for that and you, like his mantra is always do your job. So if people did their job, it doesn't matter what the guys beside you are doing, as long as they're doing their end of the bargain, you just do what you're designed to do. But I, I think it becomes a philosophy of winning. And with the Patriots, when, you know, it, it became something of a dynasty with them. Mm -hmm. So, they, you know, and the fans in New England, they, they don't expect to see a loss when they come to one of the games in Foxborough. Okay. If they see a loss and you had a hard fought game, they're mad at everyone. They, they, they'll boo the players leaving the field because <laughs> they're just not used to that. So, you know, the generations now that are coming in are used to winning sports in the Boston area. So if they have a team that doesn't do too well, it's like, oh, they have no interest in even watching them. Right. We would have people leaving the stands if they were going to lose a game in Foxborough. They'd leave early because it's like, oh, this isn't the team I came here to see. So they expect <laughs> the W's. Which is which which is really interesting though, right? I mean, because like knowing knowing the Patriots history a little bit, you guys were always scrappy. And I like that's what you always respected though, right? Out of Boston. It's the guys that you don't know what's gonna happen before the, you know, era when you guys just start, you know, having this dynasty of reigning and winning. Right. It's like this idea of you guys are bringing your actual hard hat, you're gonna do the work. You know, like and right. that's always how I viewed it, especially with um, even like Pittsburgh, that's one of the things I actually love about my town. It's very, you know, head down, focus, do your job, <laughs> you know, don't really kind of talk a lot, not too much showboating. I live in LA now, I used to live in like yeah. um, Atlanta for some years mm -hmm. in two different mentalities, <laughs> right? 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 Atlanta is very showboaty, uh, very much, right. you know, you know, big things like big celebrations you know, big personalities, all that. And I'm not saying anything negative about it, but, but man, um, when you look at the championship teams, they're more of that locked in, focused, do the work type of mentality. Well, I, I know with our team, they would always bring in some players that yeah. you, they would always look for bargain prices to bring someone in to let them even work one year with the team Smart. and figure they're going to give them everything they have to impress Bill to impress the teammates. So they would always get some good talent, but mm -hmm. they were hungrier for the wins. They knew if they had one or two years left in their careers and they hadn't gone to championship games or playoff games, Super Bowls, this was an opportunity they had to come into a team that would give them that chance to get a Super Bowl ring. That's a great point. Yeah, you, you know, I used to always question why you guys used to go grab people later in their career. I'm like, why are they getting them? They're in the mid thirties, you know, early thirties, you know, people have been beat up. These guys, I mean, yeah, they were superstars and, you know, and they could still put right. out really good results, but that's, that, that's some good insight. Yeah. Cause they, they were hungry. They wanted to make it. And happen that's why life. I think, you know, one of your old buddies, James Harrison. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they brought hurt, him back that's, in that because He's a heavy hitter. Bring him in here. Let's see what he can do for us. So, yeah. you know, they, they'll bring people towards the tail end of their careers, figuring they got nothing else to lose. Let's get them in here. Let them do their job here for us and let them, you know, get there for us. You know, I've seen players after they've gotten on a playoff game, if they've got their first cap and hat, 
Yep. After the game, they give them the championship hat. They give them the T-shirt. They're so proud of that that they finally have gone to a postseason game and yeah. won it. Yeah. So yeah. it makes the difference. And I think at that point, everything kicks up a notch as far as how they're going to perform when the playoffs are there and championship games. They, they figure it's all or nothing. Either they're in or all in or out on, the, on those games. I really love that mentality, man. And, you know, I, I mean, just because you have so much experience working with the, you know, different pro teams at, at this high level, too. Um, you know, I, I would love to pick your brain a little bit about kind of where it was and maybe where it's going as far as the actual sports medicine side, a recovery right. side, because I see a lot of the general population trying to mimic what the teams are doing, which I think right. is smart. I mean, you know, but but. I know that you guys are doing some basic things that just don't ever change too, right? So, I mean, um, I mean, I, I think I read that you've been with the team since, was it 79? Is that right? No, I've been with the team since 82. So 82, okay. 38 seasons. 38 seasons. Wow, man. Wow, I was born in 83, so. <laughs> <laughs> when I, we have one way to gauge that is Tom Brady would always say to me, yeah. I think you started with this team when I was four years old, Doc. <laughs> so that's exactly when I started. So you were just not even thinking about playing football or even, you know, getting to preschool and yeah. elementary school. And here I had already started with the team. So love that, man. I mean, I mean, man, so you mean 38 years at this level, like how is it I've evolving? Seven head, coaches. Yeah. seven head coaches that I've, I've been through all the way from, uh, uh, Ray Meyer, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I've been through Ron Meyer, Raymond okay. Berry, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, uh, the guy we had from Syracuse, McPherson. And You've been around some legends. Of- You've been yeah, around so some I mean, legendary operators like Parcells. coaches, but yeah. the good thing about them is we convinced them all to utilize chiropractic here. Interesting. So, was that Bill like a very the, tough sale, or was it something that was already kind of baked into the organization? As far as the first know? few years was difficult because the orthopedic group that we had at that point was really anti-chiropractic. Mm-hmm. So they weren't the type of people that said do your thing do what you have to do they were more vengeful that you were in that position and they didn't (laughs) think you belonged so the players were convinced that they needed it so because they needed management and ownership decided the players are going to get what they want not what another physician feels they should have because he felt he should have the option of letting me know which players i could see and tell me who i was going to see not that I would have carte blanche to see whoever I wanted to there. So the beginning years were tough. And then once he phased out and other doctors came in, it became more of a mutual understanding between all of us as to what our goals were, what our duties were, and then try to mesh them together so that we could all work together for the benefit of the athlete. Well, and you know, one of the things that that really fascinates me about working with a couple of teams, I haven't done a, a ton of business, but a couple, a couple of different guys I've worked with pretty close and got to know them over time is the politics that goes into it and managing those relationships. Because 
I would imagine you've probably seen this a couple of times where you have a guy who kind of knows what he's doing. He knows it all. He's going to change the face of everything, but he still has to work with everyone. It doesn't work if you don't work together. So like, how is that kind of managed and, 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 and juggled, especially working with people from different disciplines? Well, we all have to, we all believe in the one principle that you have to leave your ego at the door when you come into the team, because everyone thinks they're the expert, they're the know-it-all in their profession. They know how to get the player back to the game faster yeah. than the next person. So when you realize you're a cog in the wheel and you're part of the whole system, mm. each person will produce their forte and what they're trained in and together we work as one unit so we all try to combine our skills and have mutual respect for one another so from the trainers down to the orthopedic surgeons the internists on the team the training staff coaching staff they realize what you're there for and that everyone is needed not just one person to uh, control the injuries. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because, you know, knowing that you don't really work with the Patriots unless you have some insight or you're bringing something special to the table, right? Just to even get there, the amount of people, especially throughout that area that, that want to throw on, you know, an actual hat with you guys during these actual right. um, championship years. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was, was, you know, you know, waiting list throughout the, you know, throughout the door there. But, you know, being able to kind of get people to understand that this is a unit and getting people to really gel together, I'm sure took took some real work. Um, from, from a healthcare standpoint, how does it operate from a player's coming in? Do they, you know, you know, let's say someone's not injured, everything's going well. How does chiropractic care kind of play a part with everyday, you know, use and like wear and tear with the actual players? Right. How do you guys manage that care? Well, basically, I have convinced the head coaches of the proactiveness of chiropractic. So there are some teams that would feel that players can see the chiropractor or the staff if they need the services. Mm -hmm. Bill has always been under the mindset that it's a mandated service for, on the team. So he goes into team meetings and he'll say to the players from their first day on the team, this is how we do things here. We have Dr. Miller here. He will do the manipulations on you on a weekly or biweekly basis. But you need to do this because it, we found it has minimized injuries. It's prolonged your career. It's allowed us to go to post seasons. So we want it as part of our program. Hmm. We are, you know, somebody else will just say, if the doctor is here between 12 and 2, anyone needs to see him, go there. He pushes it on him. Yeah. So they realize that it's part of what they have to accept. There are always going to be some players that either from being on past teams or at colleges that they didn't utilize the service, they don't want it. But he would always give them a little kick to say, hey, if you don't do it, we're going to warn you of one thing. If you get injured, we're going to get rid of you here because you're oh, wow. not complying with our, our way of doing things, which is what we refer to now as the Patriot way. Yeah. So either they buy into the system and understand this is how we're able to obtain, you know, during my stay with them, we've been to 11 Super Bowls. So fortunately, won six of them, lost five of them. So I know the feeling of what it feels like when you don't come away with a win. But we've had the opportunity to, to be at that many uh, games and 
playoff games and championship games. So it becomes much more exciting to a player. So they want to do the best they can to prevent the injury. And if they do get injured, they want to see you as soon as possible so that we can rehabilitate them and get them back into the process as soon as we can. I love that, man. I mean, you, you know, I, I love the fact that it really is something where you guys didn't give too many options. Well, there's, there's freedom, but it's like, look, if you get injured, you're on your own. So you better do it right if you're going to do it on your own, right? I mean, I mean are, uh, yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say there are players that have no symptoms, but they, once they buy into the system and they understand that you've helped them in the past, they will come as a preventative type of care where they see you there every week. I would usually go there on my Wednesday afternoons off. Mm -hmm. They know they line up there. What time you're going to be here, doc? And when their meetings are going to be, staff meetings are all done so that there were all screens, LED screens throughout the stadium that would say, Dr. Miller is in from 2 to 4.30 today. So, and, you know, at that point, they may have a meeting at 3.30 that lasts for 10 minutes. So whoever saw me up to until that point, got their treatment and the others knew when they came out of meetings, I was still going to be there. But it doesn't always take an injury for them to come in because some people do it on a preventive maintenance type of care. I love that. I mean, I mean, and you know, that's where I'm, that's where I'm least seeing a lot of the care really going, especially with the, with our industry. I feel like there's a lot of people that are looking like, okay, why should I wait till something's out of place? Or why should I wait to have certain therapies? Like why not do them while things are going well? And hopefully that can stave off anything from actually happening down the line. You know, I have to ask this because I'm, I'm really curious. When it comes to winning and losing Super Bowls, like, I mean, you worked your whole, you worked the whole year, you grinded, you off season, everything else. Like, what's the, what's the day after, like, you know, win or loss? Like, I mean, obviously everyone sees it. And then they always talk about going down to Disneyland, right? Right. (laughs) At least that was one of the old school commercials. Don't get to go to Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe the MVP does and so forth. But, you know, the the thing about winning or losing is the elation of when the confetti comes out at the end of a Super Bowl game Mm -hmm. and you're standing on the field and knowing that you've won it. It's very emotional. A lot of players, you'll see them. We hug each other and embrace, but you see tears in their eyes. It's like, they finally achieved their goal in life to become a world champion. Yeah. So it's a, an elation that it's, it's hard to describe other than if you've had a child for the first time, anything like that. It's a, a moment in life that you savor. You don't want to leave the field. Hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> when you lose a Super Bowl, you can't wait to get off the field because once the confetti machines are going on and you see the other team jumping up in the air and, celebrating you're going down to the tunnels with your head hung low basically want to get off the off the field you don't want to be talking to any of the opposite uh players that may be friendly with you you just want out of there and they don't want you around either they want to celebrate with their own team but the next day there's a frenzy win or lose because if you win immediately things are planned they have a parade that they have tentatively planned so that they're going to put you in Boston, they put you on the duck boat tours. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. duck boats line up. The you know you get to the stadium. They get a state police escort to Boston, board all the buses, and then they will take you through the city. And just to hear, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million or more, 
people on the streets, you know, applauding you and screaming out, you know, for the success you've had. It's a feeling that, you know, I usually don't go on the duck boat tours when we won. Hmm. The last time we won in 2018, I did go with my wife because I said, you know, we've never done it. We've been invited to do it. It's about time we enjoy it. Plus, it's usually freezing because it's in February. Right, right. Yeah. This, <laughs> this past one that we won on our last Super Bowl, it was like almost 60 degrees in February. Oh, wow. So it was beautiful to stay out on the, you know, the duck boat and go out through the neighborhoods. It was a pleasure to have nice weather. So I said, we're going. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, the game ends. They have people doing exit physicals to make sure do you have any problems as a result of the end of the season anything we have to do as far as diagnostic tests mris or anything that was injured you know during the game so they do those physicals at the end and the following day they may do additional physicals so it's a conglomeration of a million things going on at once the only unfortunate thing is when you do lose you know you're going to go out of there and you're not going to see those guys most likely until the next year when they do mini camps and preseason optional, non-optional meetings and then training camp. So you have, you know, about four or five months where basically players will go home, win or lose, they go home, they go back to their families and you don't see them until the following spring or summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it like definitely seemed like there's chaos, like regardless after it's an actual chaos. championship. Yeah, it, it seemed, I mean, just from a spectator, like you're like, oh man, they're going to do the parade. And, and then just knowing that that's when a lot of the care starts, right? As far as like, you know, now you got to start taking care of your body. Um, because even yeah. if you're on a practice squad, I'm sure you're, <laughs> you're just still taking some hits. You got some licks. They're always ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those practice squad guys put in a lot of work. They do the same practice as the people who are the starters, and yet they have to go because at any one time mm-hmm. they're told someone could go down, you step up. Yeah. And it's your time to one, you know, it's always next man up philosophy with the teams. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. It's it's just so competitive trying to maintain that, you know. Um, you know. Let's talk about the offseason a little bit, if you don't mind. Kind of what is that overall care like for you? Because you also have an actual practice outside of Boston and like Norwood, right? Um, That you spend most of your time at, from I gather. We had during the offseason, you know, any of the players that usually live in the area would come by the office on a pretty regular basis just to be checked up or make sure that, you know, things are where they should be with them. Mm-hmm. If they do anything to strain themselves, a lot of them play sports in the off season. They may play basketball. They may do, you know, different indoor type sports, but they want to be checked. So the people in the area come in, I usually wouldn't see them unless they have to come into the stadium as far as, you know, they have little mini camps set up where they might have a two or three day period where they have to come in. They have to be weighed in. They have to look at their, physical uh, conditioning and so forth, make sure they've been lifting weights and they haven't atrophied and they don't look like they gained 40 pounds since the season ended and so forth. So, I mean, they do keep track of these guys. The unfortunate thing with COVID now is you're not really able to get them in the office. A lot of the players have tracking systems now. Mm -hmm. So they wear tracking devices. So they know when they tell them, we want you to only go between your home and the stadium. Yeah. They 
can't go where they'd like to go to a restaurant or go somewhere and meet people, you know, for a drink somewhere, that's not going to be allowed because they're picked up on the tracking system. And it also shows them where they are or who they're around and maybe also tracked. So it's, it's a tough sell for that. That's but, you really know, the off season they do, you know, if they don't, they'll ask me, do I know chiropractors in their hometowns that, I can refer them to so that they can be checked in the off season just to make sure that they're maintaining the integrity of the bodies. hundred percent. You know, um, talk about tracking uh, players. I know for a while that was something that was really controversial uh, pre COVID. I know Um, because people know lots of HIPAA and people don't want to kind of share their actual whereabouts, you know, privacy and everything else. (laughs) Right, right. hundred percent. Um, you know, uh, so I'm assuming all that's kind of changed. Uh, has all that kind of been kind of out the window with COVID? Now we're like more, is, is that the case? Everything is monitored now on a <laughs> daily basis because wow. you're getting teams like, for example, your, your good team, the Steelers. Yeah. I think I'm going to be the only person able to watch them play today <laughs> <laughs> because they're playing this afternoon after right. it's been changed from the Thanksgiving night game Yeah. day to Tuesday. Now it's Wednesday. So I mean, it's because, you know, unfortunately, the Ravens had, I believe they had over 14 players and staff test positive for COVID. So they if they they didn't have anyone today test positive or yesterday, so the game will go today. But you know, it's a lot of alterations and schedules and you know, players get mad. I mean, Pittsburgh is a perfect uh, season this year. Yeah. So if they were going to play Thursday, they would have had 10 days before the next game. And then they were supposed to play Sunday. So now the game Sunday is canceled and they moved it to Monday to give them a little more time for preparation. But the, the preparation time is altered when you have to do meetings with players and you're doing virtual Zoom meetings and they're not able to actually practice together and do things when you know, that's what you need to have to, you know, get some cohesion on the team. I was going to ask you about that part too. I mean, because like, yeah, I mean, all the Zoom meetings, like, you know, normally I would love to come up and we would do this in person, either at PFAT right. or something. We have a podcast and it would be great to kind of talk to you and, you know, face to face. But how is Zoom working for the teams? Is it, is it, is it working well to help people gel or is it, is it still that virtual challenge? I, I, think, it's, I think it's a problem. I think it's a challenge. I think it's going to be a problem. And I think that's why a lot of good teams are starting to break down now because you need the camaraderie of the players getting a chemistry between each other. And when they're on that field, you can tell what the guy next to them is thinking or feeling. They they feel that when they're on the field. So when you're talking in a meeting and they're talking about protecting a quarterback or how we make sure he's not going to get sacked during the, you know, game, talking about it is one thing, but when you're beside each other and you see the dynamics on the field, pretty much judge what the person next to them is going to do based on the reactions they've been getting when they're on the field together. When they don't have that opportunity, they're just out there and they're trying to do what job they have to do, but not with the precision that it would be had they been able to practice, you know, with each other on a daily basis and so forth. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I've only seen Tom Brady play in person a couple times, and I, I can just now start to say his name. Uh, you know, you know <laughs> after all the after all the damage that he's done to me over the years, but <laughs> but I I remember seeing him play in person in Atlanta, and the nonverbal communication that was happening between him and Gronk and a couple of wide receivers, it was like, I mean, it was just, it was like, man, this is like some telepathic type of type of like two ways happening. And it's like, I don't know how you build that virtually. I don't know how you don't spend hours with someone. It's almost impossible at this stage to do it. So I, I know when he's in Tampa now, it's probably difficult for him because even though they loaded that team up with offensive weapons, yep, he's not able to really interact. A lot of the meetings are canceled. A lot of them are gone, you know, virtual meetings. So, and he's with a, a completely cast of new characters there. So when he was in a comfortable mode, when he had the Gronks and his Edelman and all these yeah. guys, those were like brothers to him. So he, he knew what they could expect to, you know, their performance, how it would be during game time. So he developed favoritisms to certain people. Now you're in a different team. They've had things going their way all this time. Now he's coming in as the outsider trying to turn things around for him. But, you know, he started out well this season, but now he seems to have gone into a little decline there. But, you know, he's the type of guy that takes this as a serious business. So he's not going to just you know, let down on his game. He, he'll get back into it. Yeah. Then, but, no, no, man. I mean, he's one of the greatest to ever do it, man. I mean, um, I have to give him a lot of, a lot of respect from that standpoint and it shows. I mean, as much as I tried to deny the fact that, <laughs> that, that like he is just that good, it's true. And, and so coming from a healthcare standpoint, you know, you guys aren't spending that much time with the actual PTs and athletic trainers either, right? Like, there's not a lot of face-to-face, I don't imagine. No, not really at all. I mean, they do their things and, you know, they do what they have to do to try to rehab some, you know, put them through a conditioning program, put them through resistive band training, whatever physical therapy they're doing, massage, using the cryotherapy equipment, the, uh, you know, other types of physical therapy that they have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll work on, on most people after they've come back from surgical repair or other, you know, conditions they've had. And we don't really have that intel, you know, locking relationship anymore yeah. because we're not in the same facility at the same time now. They don't allow that many people in the building And even on the sideline, they've greatly reduced the medical staff and training staff. There's only so many people allowed on the sideline. I've been noticing that things have looked a lot more sparse. They've been a lot more spread out. I mean, which is obviously how everybody's spread out. And there are some physicians who may be in the stands that, you know, are sitting there in case they're needed, but they can't just stand and congregate on the field. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I mean, obviously, everybody's kind of dealing with the same stuff, but it's, it has to add some challenges from the player standpoint on how they can just have that sideline conversation with you, Doc, like, hey, this is feeling a little weird in my, you know, I'm not sure if they had that conversation with you, but you know, just even those little nonverbal things, right, that you can tell because you've been treating them, um, might be a little bit different now. So, so yeah, just some other challenges, it seems like from 2020. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's a tough year for everyone. That's, you know, it's not a fun year to play because yeah. of all the restrictions and other things that are going on. So, 
they're trying to get through a season and hopefully yeah. make it to the playoff times. But, you know, during playoffs, they've already discussed it. They discussed that they may go into practicing or playing in a bubble situation where any teams left in the playoffs aren't going to be able to play in their home team stadiums. They may select certain places and the team would have to be in that area during that time. For example, the Patriots will be leaving this week mm -hmm. to go to the West Coast. And because they have two back-to-back -back West Coast trips, they're not coming back. And at first there was discussion, they didn't want that. The hotels that hosted them and the people around there said, we would rather your team go home on a red-eye flight mm -hmm. and come back the next week to play instead of being in one facility in the hotel for eight or nine days because it gives more exposure if someone did have the virus, that the virus would shed over a period of time and maybe infect other people. So they wanted them to go home. But I guess because they have a Thursday night game after a Sunday night game, they've decided to you know, stay there the entire time. It's those little tweaks too. I mean, I mean, and, and you know, what's, what's interesting, at least for the audience to hear that is that because we're talking about 1% differences here that make and break most of these games, as you probably right. could probably look at it. I mean, cause there's, there's good players on both sides. It's not like any of these guys are, <laughs> are any slouches, <laughs> you know, like there's good people on the worst team. And, and, you know, um, it's that 1% difference maybe because a little bit like a sleep from travel or you didn't have your regular routine whenever you were back home. You know, if you have a Monday thing or a Tuesday thing, you couldn't hang out with the family and that may mess up a little bit. It psychologically how... <laughs> creates an issue for the players, especially when they're away that long. Right. Because in the past, if you went on a road trip, you'd be allowed to go out at night to dinner with some people. Mm-hmm. After meetings, you'd be able to meet some family members that may be from that city. You would be able to go to a mall across the street and shop and look for shoes. They love Foot Locker, these guys. <laughs> Foot Locker is their number one, you know, any of the, where they can get the newest Jordan sneakers or whatever. So yeah. they like to shop. They like to shop for clothes. And during this time of year, they would be in the malls looking for, you know, Louis Vuitton bags, MCM bags different yeah. things for their wives, girlfriends, mothers, whatever, but they like to shop in a mall. So now with COVID, if you're on the road, you're a prisoner in your room. Yeah, man. You're not allowed out of your room. So when, when you arrive at the hotel, you go to your room. Hmm. Then they'll give you a window of opportunity to go down into the meal room where you'll have 10 minutes, fill up a styrofoam container, put wow. your food in there, take some drinks, go back to your room, and then you don't leave until the buses are ready to leave for the stadium the following day. So you, you don't have the opportunity to go out to dinner. For example, the physicians on our team, when we would go on a road trip the night before, we'd go out to dinner all together. Yeah. yeah. We'd have a nice dinner. We'd go to a steakhouse. We'd go to Italian. But we'd go out. We'd enjoy ourselves. And then we'd go back to the hotel. Now that's not allowed anymore. They don't allow you to interact with, you can't even go into the lobby. So you, you can't go to the exercise room. So for those of us who may go, you know, decide I want to use the treadmill, I want to do a little weightlifting, stretching, you can't go into any of the uh, fitness centers inside the hotel anymore. So you're confined to your room. So it, it takes the joy of, of being with the team and that whole experience of being on the road, but that you're basically put in a prison cell. Yeah, yeah. But you're given a little, you're given food and water, but no exercise. <laughs> and you no have your socialize. rations. 
yeah, yeah. Right. Man, you, you know, that these are great points to bring up because I was talking to Dr. Karen Sloda about this and she was just saying oh, how... Yeah. I love Karen. Yeah, Karen's awesome, right? And, and, and you know, I, we, she was just saying how exact same thing. Like there's so much of that social component behind game days and, you know, getting ready for game days, especially with the actual staff, that just that little back and forth that is kind of, you know, gone. And so let me go back to a much happier time then. What was your best season with the Patriots, your favorite season? The favorite season was the first Super Bowl win in 2001. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, you wait and wait for the opportunity. And I had been to a few Super Bowls that we lost. Yeah. including the one against the Bears in 19, I think it was 85 or 86. Oof, but oh, that's that was, when the that, Bears were, that was a good no thing. one was going to defeat the Bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was refrigerator Perry days. Right, man. And uh, the feeling you get after getting to that point and losing is like, ah, oh, this isn't ever going to happen. And when we played the Rams on that Super Bowl, yeah. they were the favorite team. They were the, going in, it was like, they were probably, we were 14 point underdogs, I think. That's how bad it was. And they said, you don't stand a chance with them. They're going to wipe you out. You know, we went down there to play them. And to win in the last few seconds of the game with the field goal was yeah. the most elation I ever had. And there's a clip of me from that game because they, they pan over to the sideline. Yeah. And it shows me jumping about four feet in the air. So it's like, it's the highest <laughs> I've ever jumped. And just the excitement that it finally happened for us that we won the first Super Bowl. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was the best. Not that the others aren't as good, you know, because they always ask Tom Brady, which was his favorite Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And he answers it always the same time, the same answer. And he'll always say the next one. Yeah, yeah. He won't tell you the ones he's won, but you know, when we do go to a Super Bowl ring ceremony, mm -hmm. that it's been held at hotels, it's been held at the Crafts homes. He always will walk in there with all six rings, the last one, and he stands like this the whole night because he's afraid to put his hands down because some of them will fall off. So yeah. he dances like this. <laughs> and he'd always say to me, Doc, where's your rings? You sh this is the time to wear them. It's like, no, I would never, never uh, do it to you, buddy. You, You've earned it the way you have. I earned mine, but I don't let you come off of the center stage. You deserve center stage tonight. I love that, man. Yeah, you know, that just kind of goes right back to everyone working together, everybody kind of playing their part, everyone doing their job, right? right? And, 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 you know, this whole idea, so 01 was the greatest show on turf, right? That's whenever LA right. was, was, yes. was really just, I mean, they were just putting points up on the board. I think it was uh, Kurt Warner was the quarterback then. Is that right? Kurt Warner was yeah. the quarterback, yeah. yes. And, 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 man, so, you know, you know the fact that, yeah, yeah, you guys were able to overcome some of those, like, guys that just, again, high-flying L.A., Atlanta, right? You know, exact same stuff, where it's like they have the personalities, they have the talent, but people did their job. And um, I think right. they did their job, and they didn't do it to get the notoriety of each player, because I remember that. That year, it was the decision made by Belichick that they weren't going to announce the players coming out onto the field by the individual names. We were going to come out as a team. So it's like the team's going to come out. Nobody's getting notoriety for who they are. You're going out as a team. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. And that's how it happened. And at the time, George Bush Sr. was, and he came out there to do the coin toss. And as he walked off the field, I was standing there. He came over his hand and may the best team win, but you're the patriotic team. So he says, I hope you guys, good luck during the game. Oh, that's so cool. it was an honor to you know, yeah. shake hands with them and so forth. So I, I think I was the only one who got the opportunity. I was in a prime position when he came up. <laughs> right there. Right. At the 50-yard line, I'd imagine, then for the At the 50-yard line. Yeah, yeah. I love it, Doc. You, well, you know what? As we get ready to wrap up, um, if you don't mind, could you give us some insight about where you think this is going to go as far as overall sports recovery um, and just going about how they look at uh, taking care of elite athletes and some of the maybe some right. of the different tools or the different ways that they're going about doing it? A Any lot of the different things that have been done now is they're actually trying to track players as far as how many times they've been hit during the game. Wow. They have sensors that are being worn on their shoulder pads, on their padding, on their back. And it's giving some people who do research indications of how many times is this person in a period of a three-hour game actually getting hit? Hmm. Is he getting hit 20 times during the game? Is it 50, 60? And I think it's leading to a philosophy that with CTE, hmm. which is the... Uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy and concussion injuries, they're afraid that if the players keep getting these impacts, the syndrome of repetitive impact to the head and brain can render them with problems of dementia, memory loss, cognitive changes further on in life. So they're trying to get baselines of what type of hits are being done during the game and how do you deal with this do you play her out after he's had 35 hits and put someone in in his place and let somebody else play for a while then bring them back in so there's a resting period mm -hmm. so they're doing that there's a lot of work now in nutrition for recovery what the play is going to eat what type of uh hydration they're going to have during the game what products are the best for them what supplements are, are good for them more natural they'll they'll bring in like even milk from local dairies and so forth for the t team it's not like just off of a shelf so they look for things all the time there's new bars that either gatorade makes or another competitive company let's see if this is a good recovery bar is this good to fuel them will this give them energy during the game so they're always looking at different ways of maximizing potential on the uh, player and then they look into the future, I think is gonna hold, looking into not only nutrition, but different ways of exercising. Uh, there's different methods or different equipment that can be used. Is it good to just do uh, weightlifting? Or is it better to use resistive training? Is it better to use bands? Is you know, low-tech rehab versus high-tech rehab equipment? So they're all trying to, figure out what the best scenario to get to the ultimate warrior status on a player. <laughs> but that's why I love your company because you have a product that not too many people have with the piezo wave and different things. So what it does is it allows someone to treat someone and get results that you could not get in the past with someone. 
and it's it's not you know doing thing that causes pain i had it done in my shoulder i've had one thing that happened to me during my career is i got run into on the sideline by one of our own players oh man and he was at full speed and just as he was approaching the sideline he got hit by an opposing player and forced helmet to my shoulder Ooh. full force okay. i got flipped in the air and at the time i tried to act like a big man in town it's like yeah i'm all right he probably suffered injuries to his head from that hit <laughs> but Bill came over during the game and says, are you okay? Are you going to be all right? It's like, yeah, I think I'm okay. But, you know, it was nagging a little bit. I went in at halftime. I had x-rays to make sure my shoulder wasn't in four pieces. But the x-rays were negative. <laughs> and an MRI a few weeks later showed I had a labral tear, a supraspinatus tear, rotator cuff interruption, a wow. biceps tendon tear. So it did a sizable amount of damage. But... You know, I didn't have any surgery at the time because they said if you did the surgery, you'd be out of your practice for three or four months. Wow. And in those days, it's like, I'm not going to miss any time from work. Right. I'm going to try to rehab it, do whatever I can do. But years later, because it's been a chronic pain, I did try the electroshock. Mm -hmm. And when I had that device used on me, within a day or two, I had no pain at all in my shoulder. I could raise my arm over my head. The chronic nagging ache of every night having my wife, honey, can you please dig your fingers in here and try to massage this? She wasn't getting bothered by me because the pain dissipated. So these are the type of things, if you find an instrument, a tool, anything that can help a player, you use it. So we use soft tissue technique, we use Graston technique, there are practitioners that do active release to some of the players. They come in on their own and work on them. So it's like there's an armamentarium of different types of approaches you can have to the same problem. Some players are going to say, this works best for this. Well, I don't feel any difference from the massage. It feels better if you use the grapples. So they all, it's not one fix for everyone. 100%. Yeah. And you know, one of the um, things I'm always really concerned about whenever we get too techie is like, it, there's an art form with it, right? Even with our device, like, you know, everything's manufactured out of Germany and the Germans are very precise with how they believe in everything. You know, German engineering is about being on it, right? And, and so, you know, but here in the US, it, it, there is an art form to how you treat and how you go about doing things. But I see us gathering more tech, like you talk about people wearing devices and, and it's like, you know, yeah, I think that that is great, but it's not complete yet, right? It's not complete to where we no. have a full spectrum of understanding. So anyway, no, really good insight about where it's going, Doc. And, and so if, if you don't mind talking about it too, please tell us um, how to find you for anybody that's in the Boston area. And your son is working with you now as well, right? He, he's also working. My son's working for me and, and he has been the uh, doc for the New England Revolution soccer team. Right on. So he started with them last year. And after a decade of their performance being mediocre. Yeah. I think, and I'm not doing it because he's my son, but he brought him to the playoffs last year for the first time. Oh, that's and awesome. they won early in the playoffs, but it was their first attempt of getting to the playoffs. This year, not only did he take them to the playoffs, but they won their first, second, and third game. Wow. And he's been 
they never bring in, in MLS soccer. It's not like the NFL where you go on the road team. Yeah. They always have the physician that's on the home team treats both teams. They don't take the medical staff with them, but he's been asked to go because the top, you know, main players wanted him there because they know he can make the difference whether they can perform at a hundred percent efficiency or not. And he's, you know, had one of the top players after the second playoff game came in at halftime, pulled his jersey off. He said, this is for you, for everything oh, wow. you've done for me. And signed it after the game. And, you know, he had, they won the third playoff game last Sunday. And they have one more they're going to play in Columbus Sunday. If they win that, they go to the final game there. So that will be the final dance. So I'm hoping he gets to that stage because I want him to, feel the exaltation you get to win the final uh, championship, right? Having that championship, championship. win. I, I, I mean, man, you, you know what? I think that's a huge testament, though. I mean, and I, I, you, people hear about Russell Wilson spending like a million dollars on his body. LeBron James spends a time. Tom Brady does right. a lot of work into it. And, you know, I think people are starting to catch on like, oh, it's not just come in and be great, right? There's there's a whole team of people working with them to help them get to that place. So, so man, you know, honestly, Doc, it's been great talking to you. If you don't mind, please tell people. Um, I, I mean, because like, this is one of those conversations I was really looking forward to, man, honestly, just for one, just because you guys beat up on us for so long. And, you know, I, I mean, like literally, like real tears, Doc, real tears back in the early 90s of, of losing all those like, uh, fog bowls and all the rest of that stuff up there like in Foxborough, man. So um, it was just great talking to you, man, honestly. Same here. It was my pleasure. Appreciate your time. We're out.